This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is seven minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina. Welcome to a Tuesday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. Super Tuesday. It's uh, February 22nd, 2022. So 2-22-22. And uh, for those people, I guess, that are numerologists, this is the kind of stuff they live for. Uh, but uh, it's just another day as far as I'm concerned, but uh, it, it is uh, what it is. Um, it, it's uh, one of those things. As I saw somebody on Facebook point out this morning, it's uh, uh, it's not only a palindrome, but it's also the same thing right side up as it is upside down. I mean, you know, come on. But anyway, I mean, it's the kind of stuff people, people uh, get excited about. Uh, you know, what I'm not excited about, and, and I know this is a sports talk show and we're going to get to that in a minute, but... Um, the concern with what's going on right now uh, in Eastern Europe with what uh, Russia is doing in Ukraine. Look, there's been talk about this for weeks. Everybody has said that they're going to do this. And uh, Vladimir Putin is looks like he is determined that he is either going to get his way or he's going to start a war. And, you know, this is this is. Uh, it's scary stuff. I mean, when uh, when it broke in yesterday afternoon that that not only had he recognized some of these breakaway uh, separatist areas in Ukraine, but now they were sending in what he called uh, peacekeeping troops. It, it just kind of gave gave me chills, and it scares me. I mean, look, I do not think this is going to end up in World War Three. I don't think anybody wants that, but this is completely uncalled for. It is against international law. Look, this is the equivalent. This would be like, and, and, and I know it's, it's similar, but it's not. This would be like if Mexico decided that it was going to invade Texas, you know, the, maybe, you know, the El Paso region or some of those border towns. They were going to invade Texas because uh, their former citizens uh, that may be either illegal or legal immigrants that are living in that area are, are pissed off at the United States. And so Mexico is going to step in and uh, invade to stop their folks, you know, or to, to protect their people, their quote-unquote people that, by the way, left Mexico of their own accord. Um, and I, and I get that in that Eastern part of, uh, of Ukraine, that, uh, there's a bunch of people that have Russian passports as well as Ukrainian passports and they speak Russian and all this other stuff. But, but honest to God, this would, this is the equivalent of if, if Mexico decided to invade Texas because of, uh, of the former Mexicans that were living in that area. Now I know that we are far better equipped to, uh, protect ourselves against Mexico than Ukraine is against Russia, but the point is the same. 
You are invading another country just because you want to. This is a land grab, pure and simple. This is something, and and Vladimir Putin, when he became president, said that the worst thing that ever happened was the breakup of the Soviet Union. That it was a tragedy. And he has been determined from day one to try to rebuild the Soviet Union. And this is just the start. Look, if if the world lets him get away with this, and you know he right now he's in the the separatist areas. Eventually, he is going to try to move farther west, and he is going to try to get to Kiev, and he is going to try to take over Ukraine. Then what? Then does he move over to the next country to to the left or to the uh, to the north, and you know slowly start to uh, come up with all these pretexts to rebuild all these countries that were once part of the Soviet Union? That's what he's trying to do. Let's make no mistake about that. And look, NATO has made it clear and Europe has made it clear that they are not willing to have a full out war over this. And Vladimir Putin knows it. So he's basically saying, what are you going to do, big fellas? What are you going to do? And the question is, what do you do if you're NATO and the United States and other countries around the world? What can you do? The only thing you can do is economic sanctions. And you could look, they could cripple. Russia. If everybody got behind this, and that includes, by the way, China, and China's being very kind of uh, coy about the whole thing, saying, well, we need to have a diplomatic solution. Everybody needs to calm down, yada, yada, yada. If everybody gets behind this, make no mistake, they could cripple the Russian economy. You know, unfortunately, it, it then trickles down to the Russian people, which isn't fair. But at the same time, you know, then you're setting it up. The Russian people need to do something. If, if things get bad enough, then maybe maybe Putin loses his hold, you know, but everybody has to get on board here. You know, and the other part of the problem is, is that when Russia accounts for almost half of the oil that is imported into Western Europe, almost half. And, you know, and it's going to have a trickle down along the rest of the world as far as oil prices go. And, you know, look, we're looking at, uh, we're at what, 350 a gallon average here in the United States. We're looking at, you know, we're going to be over four. We might be approaching five bucks a gallon. You know, part of it is, is, you know, here in the United States, you want to say, well, you know, all the oil companies that were all of us, you know, that were drilling that all stopped when the gas prices went down because it wasn't, you know, economically feasible anymore. Now, you know, when we need that oil production here in the United States, the oil companies have said, ah, oh, no, you know, they had kind of backed off. And now what? Do we get them to start again? Do we find ways to get the uh, United States oil companies to resume their work here in, in North America? The problem is by the time you do that and by the time that oil gets to market, I mean, it's, it's going to take it takes too long. It's not something that happens instantaneously. So it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt everything. You know, the hope is, is that nobody does anything stupid and there's no nuclear uh, warheads launched. I don't think anybody's that dumb. I don't even think Vladimir Putin's that dumb. He is a cagey son of a bitch. There's no question about that. And if there is a more evil person on this planet, I don't know who it would be. The smug way that he has treated everybody else around the globe is ridiculous, and he's been allowed to get away with it. 
because they've got nuclear weapons and lots of them and a lot of people, you know, and it's unfortunate, but it's just not, it, it just, it's scary. You know, it really is. You know, we're, we're thousands of miles away. Well, at least part of us is, I mean, you know, the Western part of the United States and Alaska is really close to the Soviet union or what used to be the Soviet union. Um, but, you know, so it seems kind of like an abstract thing, and there's going to be United States citizens. Why are we getting involved over there? Why? You know, we shouldn't be involved over there. Again, as I said, you know, look, we have a world community. That's why there's a United Nations. And the United Nations had a rare emergency meeting last night at night, and everybody condemned them, with the exception of the Chinese, which was kind of like, well, you know, let's wait and see, and let's, you know, do something diplomatically. You know, and Putin is going to say, well, I want my way, which basically is you're never going to let Ukraine in the United Nations. Uh, NATO has to back off and, you know, get the stuff away from, from Eastern Europe. And uh, look, NATO was put there for a reason, because of the old Soviet Union. And it is there to make sure that that never happens again. Putin's not going to be happy until he splits Germany down the middle again. Seriously, or until Poland is part of, uh, you know, part of uh, the Soviet Union, a, a new Soviet Union. And it just can't be allowed to stand. So, you know, look, Americans, you know, the, those people here in the United States that want to say we shouldn't be getting involved in world affairs. There are times when you have to stand up. Doesn't mean we have to send troops, but we have to stand up and we have to do something. And if it's economic sanctions and it hurts us here in the United States financially, so be it. That's a hell of a lot better than uh, launching nuclear weapons. It's also a hell of a lot better than letting the Russians have their way and systematically marching their way across Europe once again and setting up the old Iron Curtain once again. We don't need that. And by the way, the people that were behind the Iron Curtain that aren't anymore don't want that. With the exception of Belarus, who has a, uh, a guy, uh, Lukashenko, the leader of Belarus who has his head so far up Putin's ass, it's not even funny. With the exception of Belarus, nobody that was part of the uh, former Soviet Union wants any part of that again. I mean, do you think uh, like Hungary and, and Romania and countries like that want to be under Putin's thumb again? I guarantee you they don't. So it's scary, but let's just hope the world has its resolve, does the right thing, and they stop this bully from, and, and that's what Putin is. Putin's a, uh, you know, the schoolyard bully. You know, threaten enough and, and you get the little guys to back down. But if everybody stands united, there's, there won't be any backing down from this one. This one, we have to make sure this one hurts. And I don't mean militarily. Because nobody wants that. But he has to be made to back down one way or the other. So... All right, that, now we'll get to sports. Sorry, I just had, it's, you know, one of those things. It's just uh, sometimes sports has to take a, a bit of a, uh, uh, a bit of a backseat. And uh, uh, as much as I'm upset about the Major League Baseball season, uh, you know, not starting on time, and as much as I'm worried about the fact that, you know, I'm not watching uh, preseason workouts down in Florida, but what's going on in Eastern Europe is a hell of a lot more important than, uh, than baseball. Now, having said that, <laughs> they finally met yesterday, um, and and for more than fifteen minutes. I mean, the, the probably the most encouraging thing 
was that the two sides met and it didn't last just 15 minutes. There were two sessions yesterday. They had a break in between. Uh, so the fact that, that they were actually sitting down face-to-face, because a lot of the other meetings had happened over Zoom and everything else. So uh, the fact that they actually met face-to-face is a beautiful thing. Uh, and look, you know, as the Major League Baseball Players Association has, has pointed out, the fact that we don't have a spring training and the fact that the start of the regular season is in jeopardy, that's on the owners. The owners are the ones that imposed the lockout. The players were willing to continue to play under the current collective bargaining agreement until things were settled. But Major League Baseball owners didn't want to do that because they wanted to have all the power. And not only did they have did they do that, now they're not even bargaining in good faith. I mean, look, even yesterday, there was some slight movement. And the fact that they're going to meet again today is a good sign. And they have said that they are going to meet every day this week. That's a great sign. But here's the bottom line. If something isn't done in the next week or by the end of this week, the regular season will not start on time. It can't because they have to be able to give players at least three weeks. And, and you know, basically what they're saying is, is that if you get it done at the end of this week, we, you know, get the camps opened up. It takes everybody a week to get there. And then we have about three weeks before we start the regular season. But that has to happen now. And there was slight movement, but I don't think we're anywhere near close enough where we can feel confident that something's going to get done. For instance, you know, the players wanted a bonus pool, right? Uh, for the top players uh, of guys that uh, younger players that aren't arbitration eligible, the players wanted uh, the players union wants one hundred and fifteen million dollars. Well, the, the the owners came up yesterday uh, and said, "Well, okay, we'll increase our our offer by five million to twenty. So the owners have said, okay, well, we'll do it, but we're only going to give you 20 million bucks. The union wants 115. And, and every time that the, the owners have talked about this, they've come up 5 million bucks. So, you know, they went from 10 to 15, now 15 to 20. And, and the players union has come down a little bit as well, but we're not even close, not even close. Um, you know, they want to have a, uh, a lottery now. For the amateur draft, who gets the number one pick? Which, by the way, I think is a great idea. I think you minimize tanking if you do that. The players' union wants it to be uh, the top eight picks, and the the, the owners said, "Well, okay, we're, we'll we'll do that, but it's going to be the top three teams." Now they've decided they, they'll go with four. I like the idea of eight. Look, the NBA does it, and it works great. I believe the NHL does it as well. The NFL does not. But the NHL and the NBA do it, and it's great. You stop teams. You de-incentivize tanking. If you know that there's a chance you're not going to get the number one pick, why would you tank? You know, it's like, well, okay, if we're, if we're uh, you know, maybe we're one of the worst teams, but, you know, we don't have to be the worst team because at the end of the day it may not make a difference. Um, so I like that idea. Um. But at the end of the day, I think the biggest issue here, the bonus pool and 
and the uh, the amateur draft and and even uh, you know even the size of the, uh, the the playoffs the players do not want expanded playoffs which by the way I agree with we not, I think it gets watered down too much but at the end of the day the biggest issue here is player salaries and player minimum salaries look um, right now the Major League Baseball owners have the smallest minimum salary of the four major sports in the United States. Think about this. Uh, for instance, a guy, uh, you know, let's uh, uh, Wander Franco, makes the minimum, right? So his the minimum last year was five hundred and what seventy thousand dollars or six hundred thousand dollars something like that. If he had been a first year player in the NBA, the minimum salary in a rookie season is nine hundred and twenty five thousand dollars. The NHL, which you could say is the the uh, the lowest of the four major sports, the NHL has a minimum salary for rookies of seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Uh, in the NFL, it's higher than Major League Baseball. It's $660,000. So, you know, and here's here's Major League Baseball at the bottom of that. And it, by the way, it never used to be that way. And this is, this is where I think a lot of the players are grousing is that there is still a lot of money being made in professional baseball. A lot of money being made. And yet the owners have gotten stingier and stingier as time has gone down. As recently as 2012, so 10 years ago, the MLB minimum salary was $480,000. That was higher than the NFL, the NBA, and just about the same as the NHL. 10 years ago. So they went from having the highest minimum salary in 10, 10 years ago to the lowest. The major league minimum has gone up just 19% in the last 10 years. The other major sports, their minimum salaries have jumped between 43 and 95%. 95%. The NBA minimum salary has jumped 95% in the last 10 years. NHL's has gone up 43%, and they're at the bottom of the, the, the big sports. The NFL's has gone up 69%. Major League Baseball, 19%. So that is where the problem is. So not only are you uh, taking guys uh, and giving them the minimum salary, the other part about this is you have to recognize is that these guys playing in Major League Baseball as rookies, most of them have spent three or four years, sometimes more, in the minor leagues where they are making bupkis where they can't support themselves or their fa or a family on what they make as minor league players, which, by the way, is criminal. And, and do you know that, you know, these guys, these minor league players, if they get invited to spring training, do you know they don't get paid? Think about that. So at the end of the day, that's the biggest issue here is salary. You know, and they and they want to they want to get 
players eligible for arbitration, you know, a, a year or so earlier. I get that. I get that. But at the end of the day, you have got to fix the salary structure. And look, nobody is crying because Garrett Whitlock from the Boston Red Sox made $570,000 last year. You know, yes, he would have made a lot more in other sports. Nobody's crying for him because he only made only made $570,000. And it's hard for people like you and me to get in, on board with saying $570,000 isn't getting paid enough. Right? But but at the end of the day, it's what the market will bear. The same way that if Mike Trout can make, you know, almost $40 million a year, you know, because he's the quote unquote the best player in major league baseball the same reason you know why uh an actor can make you know 10 15 20 million dollars for a movie for a couple of months of work nobody's bitching about that they're still going to the movies well at least they did pre pre pandemic i don't know how many people are going back to the movie theater but you'd get my point you know nobody's bitching because uh uh the eagles are out uh, performing concerts and charging you know 3 400 dollars for a ticket you know, uh, because people will pay what they, you know, what they feel they want to pay, you know, and, and at the end of the day, you know, people say, well, we, we pay these payers, these players salaries. No, no, you don't. The money that you pay for ticket prices isn't paying anybody's salary, folks. Understand that it's not paying anybody's salary. The majority of the money that these owners use to pay salaries is the TV rights revenue, both national and local, from corporate sponsorships and, you know, from, from merch and parking and all these. It's not the gate revenue. It's not. So I don't want to hear any more of, oh, I pay these guys salaries. No, you don't. But at the end of the day, if, if a player in Major League Baseball is going to, to you, know, lo, you know, slog around in the minor leagues for, you know, three, four years and make nothing and be sleeping in apartments with six other guys because they can't afford their own place or, uh, you know, have their, their wife and, and child living with uh, their parents while they play baseball because they can't afford their own place, you know, it is incumbent if you're going to keep that kind of, and I know, you know, Major League Baseball is raising the salaries in the minor leagues. It's still not going to be enough. You know, think about how long a, a season is. You know, and it means these guys got to get jobs when they get out. But think about that. I mean, these guys are basically giving up their lives from March to October for, you know, for, for squat in the minor leagues. So it is incumbent on these owners at the end of the day to make up for that a little bit. Yeah, okay, we treated you like crap for, for three or four years while you were in the minors, but here's your reward. You know, it doesn't help all the other minor leaguers that never make it to to the big time. But it's criminal what these minor leaguers pay or, 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 or make. And this is an opportunity for the Players Association to make that better. And when you keep looking, as I said, where the Major League minimum salary has jumped only 19% in the last 10 years, which, by the way, doesn't even keep up with the rate of inflation in the United States. If you look at that versus what the other leagues have done, Major League Baseball has taken a major step backwards. 
And that's a problem. You know, and I don't know how they meet in the middle here. You know, it, it, look, if if Major League Baseball tomorrow, in today's negotiations, because they're going to meet again this afternoon at 1 o'clock, if in today's negotiations the owners were to come back and say, okay, look, you want this, uh, you know, this, this bonus pool. How about this? You want 115. You know, we, we've offered 20. How about this? Why don't we meet in the middle? Why don't we, let's say, you know, $55 million or some, you know, somewhere between 50 and $60 million. If Major League Baseball came up with that versus what the players wanted, then at least the players could say, well, okay, they're negotiating in good faith. But when you throw these little, you know, these little crumbs out there and make it look like you're somehow being magnanimous, by the way, when all these owners are making millions and millions and millions of dollars, the, the horse crap that Rob Manfred was putting out about what a bad investment a Major League Baseball team is, he is, uh, he is so out of touch, and he's one of those guys that would be peeing on your boots and telling you it's a rainstorm. The worst commissioner in Major League Baseball history. He may be the worst commissioner in any sport outside of Gary Bettman in the NHL. Gary Bettman's a scumbag. Outside of that, though, Rob Manfred is the worst ever. I don't even think he likes the damn sport. The owners love him because they're making money hand over fist. You know, and I don't, you know, it's easy for for play, for people that don't pay a lot of attention to say, oh, these greedy players, these greedy players that are all making millions and millions and millions of dollars, they're so greedy. Not looking at the fact that the owners are making far more money than these players. Let me tell you what, the owner of the uh, Artie Moreno, who owns the uh, Los Angeles Angels, is making way more money than Mike Trout is. I guarantee it. So I'm glad that they're meeting finally? I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous when you think that the lockout began on December 2nd, and this is just the seventh time that they have met since the lockout on December 2nd, and most of them have been, have been virtual, and they haven't, they've only met on consecutive days one other time, and that was at the end of January. I mean, think about that. And you're going to tell me, so we're going to lock you out, and then we're not even going to bother to negotiate. So I don't want to hear about greedy players. There is there's only one. There's, the greed here is ownership. And the onus for the fact that we're not playing spring training games right now and the fact that we may lose part of the regular season, that is on ownership, period, the end of story. Because the players would still be out there under the current CBA if the owners allowed that to happen, and they have not. So shame on them. I mean, it's just, look, it, if you can't tell, it pisses me off. And it's not just because I love baseball and I want to watch baseball. Right? It's not that. It's what's right. And when these people are making that kind of money and you look at all the other professional sports leagues and see how much better they treat their players financially than Major League Baseball does, there is no other thing that can come to your mind other than shame on you. It's 34 minutes past the hour. we got to take a break. I need to cool down. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 36 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call. By the way, it's going to be uh, 70 degrees 
here in Hayesville, North Carolina today. Uh, just uh, you can smell spring in the air. We're not quite there yet. We're going to have a little bit, a bit of a roller coaster ride. It's supposed to get chilly again over the weekend, but uh, uh, it's been nice. And I was out uh, doing some construction. I'm playing uh, home improvement. I'll tell you what. Uh, we absolutely love where the, the area uh, that we are in. We love that the house we bought. We've got a great piece of land, a couple of acres here. Um, you know, and, and I, I, you have these great ideas. Well, you know, I'm going to get a tractor. I'm going to build a garden. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then you realize, by the way, this is a raw piece of land. That means i got to do all this stuff from scratch. So I was the last couple of days uh, over the weekend and uh, finished it up yesterday. That's why we weren't here. I was finishing up a ramp for the uh, new tractor that we bought so that I can go into our shed. So I had to build a ramp and... I uh, started building garden beds, and oh my God, I, I, this may kill me. I hope I lived. <laughs> hope I lived to enjoy uh, all this, uh, all this, this, this land out here and the fun that we're going to have. And uh, uh, we're getting ready to uh, get some beehives and a chicken coop, and uh, just going to have a lot of fun down here. But man, I tell you what, I, I was my my rear end was dragging uh, by the end of the weekend. It, uh, the uh, the sixty two almost sixty two year old body uh, can no longer uh, cash the checks that my uh that my mind is writing my mind thinks that i'm uh, i'm still like 40 years old yeah, my my body says no i don't think so uh juan howard the university of mission basketball coach i'm sure everybody saw the uh, video over the weekend of him getting into it uh at the end of the game against wisconsin uh, throwing a punch uh, it was really more of a slap and hitting one of the uh, uh, one of the assistant coaches for Wisconsin alongside the head, uh, and he got suspended. Uh, Juwan Howard did for five games yesterday uh, by the Big Ten. Uh, they also suspended three players for one game following that altercation, uh, a game that, by the way, that uh, Wisconsin won seventy-seven to sixty-three. And the frustration here, I think, for Juwan Howard, and I'm not trying to excuse what he did because there is no excuse for doing what he did. Uh, but he felt that this was a sportsmanship issue. They were getting their asses kicked. And with 15 seconds left in a game, a game that you are winning uh, by that amount of points, by 14 points, uh the Wisconsin head coach, Greg Gard, called a timeout. Maybe you don't need to do that. Just, you know, let your guy dribble the basketball. You know, he was like, well, you know, we were close to having a 10-second violation. I didn't want that to happen. You're up by 14 friggin' points. You know, with 15 seconds left in the game, if, if he gets a 10-second violation, and a backcourt violation, so be it. You know, and so that's a sportsmanship issue. Now, guard, by the way, did get uh, fined by the Big Ten for ten grand, uh, violating what they call the conference's uh, sportsmanship policy. Uh, he wasn't suspended, but he was, you know, fined ten grand for that. But look, Juwan Howard has a point where, in that, uh, you don't do that. You just don't do that. You know, it's kind of like having a football game. And I more in college, okay, than in the pros. In the pros, you know, it is what it is, and you take your medicine, you know, no matter what happens. Uh, you know, when the Reds, when the uh, Boston Celtics beat a team by, you know, seventy points a few weeks ago, nobody was crying for the other team and saying, "Oh, the Celtics ran up the score." You know, it's a pro game; that's completely different. But in college and in high school, where you're supposed to have some sportsmanship and you're supposed to be teaching uh, people how to play the game the right way and how to be how to be, you know, good sportsmen. 
Uh, you don't do that. You know, it's like having a college game where you're beating the shit out of a team, excuse my language, 50 to nothing, and you're throwing the football in the fourth quarter of 50 to nothing. You know, you don't do that. And a coach that gets upset about that has a right to do that. Now, calling a timeout with 15 seconds to go, you know, is kind of Bush League. And, look, I'll admit, I'm a former high school and college basketball coach. I will admit that I have gotten into some uh, verbal altercations uh, with uh, other coaches or administrators uh, when – uh, there were some things that were uh, not very sportsmanlike done uh, when I was involved in a game. Uh, and I have said some things that I regretted later. Uh, I've never got suspended or fined or anything, like that, but, but I have said some things that were not very nice. Uh, and I, same thing when I was a, high, a college uh, athletic administrator. You know, we were playing a football game uh, against Central Connecticut State University. And they were... I want to say the score was 45 to 6, something like that. We're in the fourth quarter. And Central Connecticut is still throwing the football down the field, you know, trying to run up the score. And I got angry. And I said a couple of things to another administrator at Central Connecticut that that I regret. And I apologized after the game. I apologized not only to that administrator, I apologize. I, I went to the athletic director for Central Connecticut and apologized and said, look, I kind of lost my mind and I shouldn't have said that, you know, and, you know, before you hear about it, I want you to hear it from me first. And, and you know, so things happen in the heat of the moment. I get that, you know, and I'm not trying to excuse what Juwan Howard did, and, but Greg Gard was wrong. But Juwan Howard, as a 49-year-old man, a guy who was a performer, a former, you know, professional athlete, and a guy who is a Michigan grad and is trying to instruct his players on how to be, uh, you know, uh, as he called it, Michigan men, you know, how to do things the right way. You know, I, I, I applaud Juwan Howard for stepping up and saying there are no excuses for what I did. You know, he tried to make excuses for it right at the press conference right after the game, saying, well, you know, uh, you know, the, the Wisconsin coach put his hands on me and, you know, that got me hot and, you know, then things were said and, you know, but now after the suspension and after having a talking to, I'm sure Ward Manuel had to talk with him and uh, with the Big Ten spanked him verbally and spanked him in his wallet. Uh, you know, he said, look, no excuses. I've got to I've got to set a better example. And he's right. Just like I needed to set a better example. Uh, you know, I've done it. I, like I said, I've done it. So I get it. I've never I've never swung at anybody, uh, but I've gotten upset over over things that that I were perceived as being, uh, you know, when, when people weren't uh, doing it quote unquote the right way. So I get it. it by the way, Dan Shaughnessy in the Boston Globe had a uh, a great uh, column the other day. I don't always agree with Dan, but this was a great column. He was talking about, you know. Uh, other other issues like this that have come along that Juwan Howard's not the first coach that's ever done this, but as Dan points out, he was still out of line. But and I had forgotten about this. If you remember back about thirty years ago, this was in the late eighties, early nineties, uh, when John Calipari was coaching the University of Massachusetts, and they were playing against Temple, and John Cheney uh, was the coach at Temple, very fiery guy. Uh, and he went after 
John Calipari at the end of a game. Uh, and he was, you know, he was not a young man, by the way, went after uh, Calipari and said, I'll kill you. <laughs> and he said, you remember that when I see you, I'm going to kick your ass. Think about, you know, uh, and then they played a couple of weeks later and uh, UMass won that game too by like a point and no punches were exchanged, but, but John Chaney lost his mind. It happens. You sometimes say things in the heat of the moment. Look, anybody who has ever played or coached at any level knows that there are times when it just gets the better of you. You know, there are times it just takes, you know, one look at the scoreboard or one uh, one player saying the wrong thing or one coach doing the wrong thing, and it can set you off. Uh, you know, look, uh, Bill Belichick is not is not always the most warm and fuzzy guy when it comes to handshakes after games. Uh no question about it. Uh, if you remember, Billy Martin and Earl Weaver used to get into it. Uh, hell, Red Arback actually, uh, as Dan pointed out, actually uh, challenged Moses Malone to a fight during a preseason game. Red Arback at the time was sixty-six years old, little guy. Moses Malone is six foot ten. Red Arback wants wants to wants to challenge him to a fight. I mean, you know, and Arback back in the late fifties when he was coaching the Celtics actually hit the owner of the old St. Louis Hawks, cold cocked them <laughs> over a dispute about the height of the baskets. <laughs> so, look, it happens. But, there's, you know, there's no excusing what Juwan Howard did, uh, you know, but a guy with an 18-year NBA career, a guy that knows better. But he, you know, look, the heat of the moment, it gets you. It'll, it'll you know, it, it'll get you just like, you know what? It's like, uh, have you ever had a fight with your wife or your husband or whatever, your significant other? Sometimes we say things in a moment of anger that the second they leave our mouth, we go, oh, I ought not to have said that. We have all done that, you know, and then you spend the rest of the night trying to suck up and say, oh, I'm really sorry. You know, I, we've all done it. So whether it's in our personal lives or whether it's in our jobs, you know, I'm sure, you know, in corporate America, there are just our times when people tell you to go F yourself. You know, that's part of the uh, the human condition. We we all have tempers. But when you are supposed to be the leader of other young men and teaching them an example, Joan Howard uh, has to do better, and he knows it. So uh, good for him uh, uh, for stepping up. Uh, the top 25 in uh, college basketball was released yesterday. Gonzaga, the unanimous number one choice. I still think they are the best team uh, in in the in the uh, in the NCAA, I know Baylor's pretty good, but I still think that uh, that Gonzaga at the end of the day is the most complete team. But they got all 61 first place votes. Uh, uh, the biggest jumper this week uh, was uh, Arkansas. Uh, they jumped up five spots. UConn jumped up three spots. They are now uh, number 21 with wins over Seton Hall and Xavier. By the way, UConn huge game uh, coming up. Um, against Villanova this week. Villanova, number eight in the country. UConn right now at uh, 10 and five, sitting in third place, I believe, in the Big East. But they're tied with Creighton. Uh, Villanova's a couple of games ahead of them. UConn gave Villanova a hell of a game uh, a few weeks ago. and uh, uh, But UConn's healthy, and they're playing really well right now. It's going to be a sold-out XL Center in Hartford. That should be a great game. Uh, so that one is uh, coming up later on this week. Can't wait for that. Uh, number one in uh, college basketball, no surprise. South Carolina stays at number one. Uh, but uh, Kim Mulkey, 
uh, is back in the top 10. She is at LSU now, and uh, LSU is in the top 10 for the first time in 13 years. They moved up to the number eight spot. Uh, UConn uh, still uh, uh, moving up a little bit. UConn is number seven. They are just behind number six, Michigan. Uh, Baylor, the fifth team in the uh, top 25 standings right now. So uh, uh, both Connecticut teams doing pretty good, my old uh, home state. And uh, I can't wait to watch that UConn-Villanova game. That should be a classic. At least I hope so. The way UConn's been playing lately, that has the, uh, uh, the makings of a great, great game. It is 49, or excuse me, 48 minutes past here. We're going to take one more break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 51 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call. Just a few minutes left here this morning. Uh, glad you were able to join us. And uh, um, I apologize for the fact that we weren't here yesterday. I'm, I'm going to try to keep to the regular schedule as much as I can, but with everything going on here and uh, – uh, it is. It has certainly been difficult. And uh, by the way, I want to thank those of you that have reached out to me uh, asking about my mom. Uh, my mom uh, suffered a stroke uh, up in Connecticut. She is. Uh, she is doing uh, a little bit better, and uh, she's going to be. Uh, she's at a rehab center right now. Going to be going to move in with one of my sisters. Uh, but uh, it's part of where we're all going, folks. You know, this uh, this aging thing is difficult. And as uh, of course, as we get older and our parents get older, it's hard. But I want to thank those of you that have reached out to me. Uh, to uh, to offer your best wishes to my mom. I appreciate that. Um, the United States women's soccer team reached a settlement with USA Soccer uh, yesterday, and they are uh, going to receive $24 million in this settlement, uh, plus bonuses. Um, and uh, the, the, uh, they are going to split that money um, it's, it's, uh, it's difficult because, um, it's gotten to a point where women's soccer is almost as popular as the men's game is. Uh, you know, you could make a case that, you know, men's soccer is obviously on the professional level, a lot more popular than women's soccer, but when it comes time for, uh, women's World Cups and the Olympics and things like that. The women's soccer game, you know, their professional leagues don't get the attention, obviously, that the men's professional soccer leagues do. But when you're talking about uh, na- world championships like the World Cup and the Olympics, uh, the ratings for the women's game are just as high as the men's. So you can make a case that, that they should be paid equally. You know, I've made this argument before with the WNBA versus the NBA, where people want to say that the the women in the WNBA should be making what NBA players are. And again, my argument there is the following. As soon as you start filling up arenas the same way that the men's game does and and drawing the same kind of corporate sponsorship and, and things like that and TV revenue that the men's game does, then, yes, you should absolutely be paid the same. You know, it's kind of like, you know, women's golf. Look, that needed to be fixed. Women's, women's golfers were making squat. They're still not making the, the purses that the men make, but it's a lot more equitable than it used to be because the attraction or the, the appeal of women's golf has gone up. Uh, women's tennis, same thing. You know, the, you could make a case that in many ways the women's tennis tour is more popular than the men's tour. You know, I mean, it's, it's arguable. But at the same time, it's, it, is, it is so close that they need to be making similar amounts of money. It's still not completely equitable, but we're getting there. Um, and, and in women's soccer, I think this makes sense. 
you know, and this has been a six-year battle that they have had, uh, you know, and, and USA Soccer wants to say, well, no, that's not really true. They are getting the same amount, yada, yada. They're not. You know, the women, uh, you know, for, for years were so vastly underpaid. So uh, there's there's no question that, that this had to happen. They still have to hammer out a uh, a labor contract. They still have not done that. They uh, uh, they're the contract that they're under expires on March 31st. So hopefully they'll be able to figure that out. And and then we won't have to be talking about this. You know, it's just like in the regular workplace, folks. Uh, you know, if uh, if I'm working at XYZ company and there's a woman working at XYZ company doing the same job that I am, she should be getting paid the same. The difference to me becomes when you have things like uh, where attendance and revenue uh, generated uh, by a particular sport. To me, that's where the difference comes in. But if, if it's apples to apples, there's no reason women shouldn't be making the same amount of money, period. I mean, I can't believe we're even having that conversation in 2022, right? Uh, Boston Bruins with a big win yesterday. David Pasternak, a couple of goals. Uh, he had not scored, I think, in four straight, uh, but had a couple yesterday. And the Bruins with a huge win. They beat the uh, Colorado Avalanche 5-1 in a game that was yesterday afternoon. It was a makeup game. It was supposed to be back in uh, December 23rd, uh, but was uh, postponed because of COVID. Uh, Jeremy Swayman, 28 saves last night. But this is a Colorado Avalanche team that leads the West Western Conference. You know, this was not like beating some bottom dweller. This is a team if the, you know, if the Bruins want to win the Stanley Cup, this is the kind of team they got to beat. And to come out and uh, to beat them 5-1, to one. I know the game was in Boston, but still, to come out and not just beat them, but beat the ever-living hell out of them, that was a big win for the Boston Celtics yesterday, for the Boston Celtics, for the Boston Bruins yesterday. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We will be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. Going to leave you this morning with some music from Thomas Rhett. I guess this is kind of how I felt yesterday. Now that I'm a Southerner, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm and we play country music here on the station. And I guess I'm, I'm a country guy, but I, I kind of felt, you know, like I was part of the fabric yesterday uh, here in the South. Uh, so here's a little Thomas Rhett and country again. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.